Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Cup of Nurses podcast. So today I wanted to talk a little bit about my registry slash PRM position that I took here in Chicago. I'll talk a little bit about how orientation went, why I decided to take this position, and a little bit of my my pay structure and my plans on what I'm going to try and do with this registry slash PRN position. Before we start the show, shout out to our sponsors, Liquid IV and BetterHelp. I drink Liquid IV after every workout, after every sauna session. I highly recommend it. Make sure you guys stay hydrated in the gym, out of the gym, and on the unit. Use code CONPOD at checkout for a little bit of a discount. It's never too early. It's never too late to get a therapy session in. Your mental health matters, guys. Make sure to visit betterhelp.com slash couple of nurses and try to get a therapy session in. And of course, we give you a little bit of a discount if you use code couple of nurses at checkout. Make sure to also visit coupleofnurses.com for all of our updates, all of our show notes, and all of our resources are also over there. And coupleofnurses.shop for all of our merch and our nursing t-shirts, nursing gear. Hey everyone, we've been using Furnish Finder for the last five years. When it comes to travel nursing assignments or long-term vacations, Furnish Finder is a place to go. One of the most trustful aspects about travel nursing is finding housing. There aren't a lot of sites that offer furnished homes for short-term leasing. Furnish Finder has thousands of furnished properties nationwide to meet your every need. If you're looking for a one-bedroom studio to a three-bedroom family home, Furnished Finder has you covered. Travel with a peace of mind with Furnished Finder. Start your search at FurnishedFinder.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So last week, I started a PR position here in a great plain state of of Illinois. I haven't done any kind of staff positions since, since I want to say, 2019, 2020, because I've been travel nursing for the last three years for for the most part. So I've just basically been doing contracts, then maybe taking like a break in between contracts and just moving around a lot. But this time around... I decided to stay a little bit local, spend some time with the family. I, of course, haven't been here for longer than I want to say a week for the holidays. So I wanted to take this opportunity to just kind of lay low, stay stay here, kind of stay where I, where I grew up and just be with family for a little bit. But I also wanted to uh, make some money. So I'm 29 years old. I looked into some local contracts, but I was like, hmm, I don't really want to do nursing full-time yet I wanted to take a little bit of a, of a breather in a sense so I also looked at doing part-time and also just doing staff full-time but staff full-time I was a little bit less interested in in that than travel nursing because traveling full-time offers you a little bit more money versus the the staff full-time position so I came up on part-time and that was twice a week but 
the places that I looked at, they offer more money for registry positions versus part-time positions. So I'm like, you know, I could do part-time. I can give them my, my two days a week or two nights a week and, and I'll be okay with that. Or I could do the registry and get paid a little bit more, have more semi-schedule and kind of just fill in wherever I feel like in a sense. So I thought that would be probably my, my best choice. I think that would be the, be the best idea. But the thing is with registry versus part-time or full-time is you of course don't have the benefits. So there's no 401k attributed to it. There's no insurance attributed to it. So I get, I have to basically figure that side of things on my own, but with travel nursing, I kind of had that figured out for the most part. So I haven't had any, any issue with that because I wouldn't mind, I don't mind working more than once a week, but like I said, I wanted to maybe just still have a little bit of a, of a break from bedside <clears throat> with the goal of probably doing a local contract sometime in the upcoming month, sometime in, in the fall when rates go up a little higher. I was thinking about doing the travel contract full-time and then just doing the registry position three times a week at the hospital. So I'm going to maybe try and juggle both at the same time. Is it doable? I'm not sure. It's only three months. I haven't really had a part of my life where I, where I worked four days a week in a sense because if I do the contract and then I also do the registry position that I'm going to either have to do like six shifts in a row or I'm going to have to do four shifts a week for three weeks out of that month because the registry position, I'm required to do three shifts a month, one of those being being weekends. They're really lenient on the weekend shift. They just want me to basically do just those those three shifts. So if I do those three shifts, there's, there's four weeks in a month. So if I do decide to do a contract, then I'm going to have to work either, like I said, six shifts in a row or just do three weeks of four shifts. So that looking at right now that, that a little, little disheartening is that something that I'm looking forward to doing, but, but I want to, um, just make some, make some good money. And I also want to go to school. So this is the position where I'm at right now is working more hours or going back to school in, in, a, in a sense. I do enjoy bedside. So so that's the little bit of the situation is, is I like where I'm, where I'm working. I like where I'm at, but it's like, is this something I'm going to want to do in 10 years in, in five years? I really enjoy the stuff that I do. I really like everything that, that nursing comes with the family, the patients, the coworkers, the managers, the doctors. Everything that goes into it, I really, really enjoy. So it's kind of like a, a hard step, but it's a step that I have, that I have to take. I have to figure out what I want to to do with with nursing. That's why I did an episode a couple, couple weeks back about becoming a nurse practitioner because one of the reasons why I decided to do registry position and PRN is because I really want to figure out school. And you guys know that if you work full-time in nursing, you don't really have a lot of time to do other stuff. So I still like working out. I still enjoy doing a podcast. I enjoy nursing and I want to look for school. So I have to sacrifice something to get that, 
that time to to look at schools because you got to make phone calls, you got to do a handful of stuff. So I figured, you know, my financial situation isn't bad. You know, I'm more fortunate than a lot of people. I travel nurse for quite a bit of time, so I have a nice nest that you could say for me to just kind of chill for a little bit until I figure stuff out. I mean, of course, I'd like to have more money, but money isn't everything. Sometimes you got to take the pause on the money and figure things out for you to make more money, you know? So I'm doing registry for now. I'm just doing once a week. Maybe I'll do twice a week, maybe three times a week, depending on, on how my weeks go, uh, you could say. But while I'm trying to figure out school, because my plan is to go to school in in the... I believe I was looking at the spring semesters are the ones that are coming up. I kind of miss the fall ones. In a sense, I could still apply for the fall ones, but a lot of schools are already booked up and I don't want to have to go over state. I'm probably going to look at schools that are more in, in, in this area. So my next option would be to do the the, uh, the spring semester, which I'm totally down with. I can make some money before I go to school. And when school happens, I can go back down to registry or I could, or I could just not do any more contracts and focus on school, the podcast, and just work and just my life in in that sense. So registry, of course, the best option. And what's also nice about registry is they used to offer extra pay if you picked up more shifts than you are required to at registry. So they would offer, depending on how much you pick up, it was like three hundred dollars, or three fifty, or four hundred report pay. It was called. They don't offer that anymore, unfortunately. But what's nice is that the hospital that I work at. They have something called like emergency pay or crucial pay. And there's like three levels. So I'll be honest with you guys. So the job that I took pays a little bit over $45 an hour. For simple math, we'll keep it at, at 45 Lower than I'm used to, you know what I'm saying? Definitely lower than the hourly pay that the travel nursing provides. But this hospital is really close. It's like 15 minutes away from, from where I live right now. It's a hospital I used to work at. I know a handful of people. I know the manager there. I had a good experience there. I really enjoyed it a lot. And it's the, the cardiac ICU. So, register would just say, you know, we'll even do some simple math. We'll just do 50 an hour just so I could give you guys an idea of how much you could potentially make at, as a registry nurse in, 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 in the hospital. So, simple math. We'll do $50 an hour. Um, you know what? JK. I'm use that $45. I'm going to go 45 so my pay is a little bit over $45, but I know simple math is going to be 50 Let me do the 45 that way. It's always good to underestimate numbers because, you know, you got taxes, all that kind of stuff. So, and you're budgeting, you're better off off underestimating your income and overestimating your spending just so you have a little bit of that um, that that leeway, a little bit more room to, to work with. So to say $45 an hour, and they have these three levels. They're saying there's four levels of this crucial system. So... The first level offers you $10 more an hour. Second level offers $20 more an hour. And third level offers $30 more an hour. And then they have this fourth thing where it's not a it's not a crucial level. It's just like a like a little bit of an add-on of $10. So technically, what I could do is is I could, in a sense, make anywhere from $10 to $40 more dollars an hour, technically maybe even twenty to forty more twenty to forty more dollars an hour. So that jumps the pay up from forty five dollars to sixty five and even eighty five, which is which is a really, really good amount for registry position, registry job. So 
they don't offer this every single day. I've only been there a week. I've talked to a handful of people and they said they don't really pick up so often, so they haven't taken advantage of the crucial pay. So it's something new that they implemented. I think it's maybe like a month and a half into into it being rolled out. So I didn't really get a good idea of how much how much shifts you could pick up under that crucial pay. But my manager said that it's fairly often that I should be able to get it once every so often and to capitalize it if I if I have the opportunity to. So that's that's an interesting position because that would be really clutch if I could get that crucial pay of $40 more an hour. That would put me into $85 an hour, which is basically almost twice as much as my as my hourly rate. But I'm really curious on, on how that works. Uh, they were they said that I could either get it added on at the end of the pay period. They also said that I could get it added on at, at the end of the month. So there's different ways of you getting paid out that $20, 30 $40 extra. But I'll tell you guys more about that once that comes into play. But nobody really gave me an honest idea of of how often they do this crucial pay because if it's like a once in a month kind of thing, that kind of, that kind of sucks. But if it's more of like a weekly thing, bi-weekly thing, I'd be more willing to to pick up because being registry, I'm in it for the money. I do enjoy nursing, but I want to make some money, especially if I do decide to go to school. Registry is, is the way to go. So the registry position, just as a refresher, I'm only required to work three shifts a month, one of those being a weekend. But of course, they are lenient on the weekend. So as long as I just do three shifts a month, they're completely fine with that. And on top of that, if I pick up more than the required three, I can get something called crucial pay, which can give me anywhere from 10 to 40 more dollars an hour. Now on the topic of orientation. So I have worked at this hospital before. I know some of the people that work there. I know the manager. Orientation was, was fairly quick. So my first orientation day was a Monday. I spent uh, eight hours there. It was like a seven to four kind of thing. Literally just listening to the educator talk about policies, procedures, setting up my my badge, setting up my email, my uh, my payment account, all the all the other picks of stuff that I that I gotta do. Just signing a bunch of papers, just trying to get that figured out. We also did a little bit of a tour of the hospital. Got to meet some people that I used to work with because I used to work there on nights. A lot of the people that I used to work there on nights are now days. So it was nice to just say hi, get to talk to them for, for a little bit while you know, exploring the, the unit that I knew uh, fairly well. You know? So that, that was nice. It was nice catching up with manager because when I started there, the manager there is currently in position. She used to be the clinical educator and she moved up. So it was nice having her there and just talking about her experience and just, and just catching up. And the manager that used to be manager there, she got a higher position. And actually on the same day of my orientation, she actually came back. So I got to meet my ex-manager while catching up with my current manager. So that was actually really cool, really, really cool experience. Just taking a, taking a look at, in a sense, how I first met these people and how they moved over the last three years to different positions and different different roles in a hospital. It gives you like an interesting perspective on on the flow of people's nursing careers because the current manager, she used to be a nurse. 
then she became the educator and now she's the manager. And the prior manager, she used to be a nurse, became a manager, went to a different hospital, became like the DON there. And now she's coming back for a different position at this hospital. So it's it's like really cool to reflect on all the stuff that I did so far in my, my career and all the stuff that they've done in, in their career. But keep in mind, they're like 10 years older than me, 10, 15 years older than, than me. So they have a lot more experience, a lot more, they meet a lot of, a lot more of the criteria for moving up in the, in a nursing hierarchy, you could say, or, or nursing chain. You know, looking, looking around, looking at people, I see some people that became NPs, went back to school, did this, now they're managers or they're caseworkers or do all that kind of stuff. And you feel like maybe you missed out a little bit, but that's a feeling that everybody gets. There's for sure some nurse practitioners or case managers that, that look at me and feel like they missed out on travel nursing. They didn't get an opportunity to do it and they would love to do it. And now they're, they feel kind of stuck. That's, that's, what, that's what everything, that's how human beings are. We always look at what people are doing as better than the way we did it, but that's completely incorrect. It's just our need to want something that someone else has that's with that's with everything. It's with cars, it's with jewelry, it's with money, it's with work, all that kind of stuff. It's with the physique, all that. But but to get back at back in here, um, it was really nice to catch up with everybody and just seeing how everybody progressed, everybody changed, you know, how they matured. It was it was very nice. So that's basically what I did for my first orientation day. My second orientation day was me completing more modules. I did some epic coursework because we we're using epic in the system. I had to do a bunch of modules. I think the modules took me like 10 hours to, to do. I want to say 10 because I got paid for, I think like 10 hours of them. So I'm going to say they took me 10 hours to do, but the Tuesday was a big module day. I let out, did a lot of epic stuff. Um, I stayed there for like four hours. So uh, th that was nice. Uh, I got some coffee. I just walked around the hospital, explored a little bit. Um, met with my educator again, just to touch base on where I am. She also said I could try to test out of the EKG module. So basically gave, gave me the, the exam. And if I could test out of it, I'd have to do the really long course. So on Tuesday, I did a, a just a little orient, simple orientation. Um, that was a big module day. And then I found out some more inf information. So then Wednesday, another orientation day, but this, this day was just focused straight up on just modules. I had to do a epic test out exam and I did my EKG test out exam because I just decided to study for it. I just looked at some epic videos just so I have to take the giant course because if you don't pass the test out exam, the charting course is going to be easy, like a, at least anywhere from one to three hour course. And with the EKG, if you don't pass that, you don't test out of that, you're doing a whole EKG course again. That's going to take, take you like at least three hours. So I diligently studied for those Tuesdays so I could take them on Wednesday. And I was able to to uh, pass the epic. That one I was a little bit worried about because the first one was, was charting like the pain and like the pain score and the pain location. But this is a higher tier of epic because different tiers of epic. And I got the first like three wrong of, of the pain section because you know how you normally type in the pain location? This one, you had to go on the LDAs and actually press on the location on the little avatar of where the pain is. And I didn't know you're we supposed to do that. So I was trying to figure out like where where the heck do I type in this this pain? There's no box for pain, but you actually do it in the in the LDAs later on 
realized that when I was uh, just reviewing of reviewing what I got wrong and that kind of stuff. All the other ones, I, I passed completely. It was just just that beginning steps that I that I didn't know what to do because I didn't realize that they require you to use the LDA avatar for for uh, the the payload location. So after that, I was like, okay, well, this is the first one. I maybe got two out of the six right. I'm definitely not going to be able to pass, but it got easier as time, time went on, and I was able to figure out more of what to what to do, where, where can I find this, where can I find that, just because of my epic experience. But the EKG exam, guys, man, I was so worried about that one. I was so worried. I know my EKGs. I've basically been doing EKGs, EKG strips every shift of my nursing career, but it's one of those things where you're just like, you know, I, I don't want to get it wrong because it's like 50 questions, and if this is 50 questions, and if, and if I miss a handful, you got passed with 80%, so if I miss like 10, then that, you know, puts me at, at a disadvantage. I got to retake the course because you don't see every single EK, EKG rhythm there, so sometimes it gets confusing, especially if you go into the, the heart blocks, the winky box, the type 1, type 2, all that kind of stuff. That's a little bit confusing, and that's the ones that they tend to throw at you the most. But this EKG exam was, I'm going to tell you guys, it was probably the e easiest EKG exam I have seen. Probably because I have a lot of experience in it, in it so I probably just over-worried. I probably thought it was going to be worse than, than it was. But there was a handful of questions where one of the answers was to assess for a pulse, assess the patient, and call the physician with the rhythm, rhythm change. That was one of the one of the choices that you could pick. So I'm looking at that. I'm like, okay, well, this is nice. If it's not a science rhythm, <laughs> and if it's presenting with any kind of symptoms, you're going to always assess and call a physician. So that was a little bit of a of like a cop-out in, in, in a sense because it's an easy answer to, to select. So I never seen this before. Usually it asks for what medication would you use or what would you do? I've never seen the EKG exam give you one of the answers as assess and call a physician and wait for order. So that was that was nice because those are almost like free answers. And even in, even in the ones where that answer is not correct, if it's sinus rhythm, you don't need to do all that extra stuff, right? So so that was easy. That was uh, very nice. So that Wednesday I did all that. I finished all my modules in that in that one day, and then Thursday came. Thursday was my actual in-hospital orientation, and that was nice. Um, as soon as I I came in, uh, one of the assistant managers that 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 knew me, I worked with her in, in the past, is like, all right, Peter, well, you've been here before. We're gonna give you the the full work. So, and during my orientation, I was obviously partnered with a nurse, and we had a patient that was fresh from a mitral valve clipping. A mitral valve clipping is something that they put on patients that have mitral valve rigor to better open and seal that mitral valve so they have better cardiac output and and the blood doesn't backflow through that through that mitral valve so yeah that that happened to him but after the procedure a little bit during the procedure he had a little bit of a cardiogenic shock going on so they had to give him a balloon pump and they gave him a swan and not to mention, he is also a dialysis patient of seven years. So they gave him a trialysis and he was on CRRT. And we were going to be the ones to start the CRRT. We're the ones that got him out of out of the OR. Um, this was a night shift. 
So the patient got back a little bit before six. So the day shift nurse only thing she really did was slave the balloon pump to the monitor, set up the, the swan lines, and then also start the CRT chamber. So she was priming the, the cartridge, which was which was nice because we had to do it. The hardest part about CRT is usually getting the cartridge to, to work for you because any kind of obstruction of flow, any kind of air bubbles that's going to alarm, you have to be really diligent and do it right. So there's no air in the system because I'm telling you the system goes wild if there's any kind of air bubble. But I kind of wished I was able to start the CRT myself and, and, and the cartridge because it would give me a nice refresher on how to how to start the actual CRT, how to prime it, all that kind of stuff. But even though it is step-by-step directions, I'm more of a hands-on person. For me to learn how to do something properly in the correct way, I have to be able to touch it, I have to be able to move it, I have to be able to mess with it, I have to be able to actually do it. That's the way I remember best. I'm not the kind of person that reads something and, okay, I got it, and we'll see what happens. I have to get a good feel for it to be comfortable with it. So I didn't get to prime the CRT machine, but we did get to start the CRR machine. So we got our little paper with the ultrafiltration, all the all the uh, pressures, the venous pressure, the atrial pressure, all all that kind of uh, all that kind of stuff. So it was nice jumping into orientation and having this critically ill patient with a balloon pump, with a swan, with a CRT machine. So this guy Dallas is of oh, seven years, so he knew the whole protocol. He never been on CRT. He was kind of just he was completely with it. He was anal types four, able to move all extremities. Uh, to the best of his ability because, of course, the balloon pump was in his femoral artery, so we have um, a brace on the leg so they don't bend it, they don't, they don't mess it up. Um, and it also had a swan in his IJ, so that restricted his neck mobility and a trialysis also in his lymph fem by that balloon pump. So a lot of stuff going on. We're just turning him every couple hours, all that kind of stuff. So this was, I want to say, a perfect learning experience and almost a perfect first orientation day. Minus the fact that I didn't prime the CRT. And why I say that is because this guy was completely with it. He was a super nice guy. He followed all our instructions. He asked good questions. He slept fairly well. And I was able to do my numbers on the SWAT. I was able to get my numbers from the balloon pump and also do the CRT at the same time without him trying to die. In, in a sense, for lack, of a little, uh, back, for lack of a better phrase, he wasn't trying to die on us. He was with it. He was, you could say, in a healthier state. His numbers weren't weren't bad. So it was a nice person, nice patient to get to learn the ropes. And it was a perfect patient to get back into the routine of things, get back into the, the feel for things, especially working with a balloon pump, a swan, and a CRT, which a lot of our patients have on this unit that, that I currently um, work at. And what's also nice is all the numbers were good. So we didn't have to troubleshoot anything. Um, he was bradycardic and he was having some PVCs, but he said he's normally bradycardic. He was like high 30s, mid 40s when he came back, but that was kind of normal because of course the sedation medication is still there. And back uh, once the shift moved on, a couple hours in, he started being more like high 40s, low 50s. So that was a, a good change. Nobody was really worried about it. I wasn't really worried about it because that's his is normal. He was just a little bit more bradycardic, you could say, because of the whole sedation that he got, all the medication that that, that he got. Um, so that was good. The CRT, the goal was to pull 150 mLs of fluid, and guys, we got to that goal without any kind of pressure issues, because you might notice that when you have a CRT and you start pulling fluids, 
you might see your blood pressure drop. This gentleman's blood pressure maintained very well the whole the whole shift. It didn't even even change. It was always in, anywhere between low 100s to 120s. Sometimes mid 90s was moving around. So anywhere from mid 90s to 120s. That's how much it stayed the 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 whole shift. So we gradually started pulling. We started to go up by by 25. So we started at 25, then did 50. Maybe remember this, if this is 25 or is it 50. I'm pretty sure, yeah, we started 25, then 50, then 75, 100, 125, 150. Yeah. So we slowly went up by 25. So the first hour of the CRT, we didn't pull any kind of fluids. We didn't. By that, I mean, we didn't pull any, we didn't take out any fluids. So whatever he got in, we took out. So he had. He was on, you know, the KVOs for all those lines. He was on dobutamine, five milligrams. So I had to add up all those pump numbers. So he was getting, I think, like 45 mLs an hour for the the KVOs and all the other fluids. So we had to pull that out the first hour. So you're pulling that out, the 45, and then plus the... When I did the SWAN number, that's another 30. So we were pulling out, I want to say 75 for the second hour. The, the first hour, the first hour, we let it run. The second hour, we pulled whatever you gave the last hour. And that was the 30 mLs of injectate and then 45 mLs of the medication and fluid that he got. So we weren't at a, not negative yet. We were doing a, just a zero, zero. Whatever we put in, we're taking out. The third hour, that's when we decided to take out 25 ml. So on top of that 45, we also took out another 25. So that gives you, what, 70 mLs of fluid that gets getting taken out. I didn't add the injectate that time because I didn't shoot numbers every hour. I sh we shoot numbers two to three times, two to three times a shift, usually three. When you get there at midnight and then about four o'clock in the morning before you do your mixed minutes or after you do your mixed minutes, whichever one time allows. So... I only have to account for that injectate just during the time that I that I push it. So the second hour, so the first hour, like I said, we just let it run. Second hour, we took out the 70, the fluids medication and injectate. Third hour, we took out the medication and 25. So he was then finally operating at a negative 25 in a sense. And then every hour, as long as his pressure is held, we went up by by 25. Some nurses would go up by by 50. It's your judgment call. If you think blood pressure, blood pressure can handle it, go for it. Um, his CVPs on the SWAN were anywhere from 9 to 13. So that does show that he has some fluids on him. Probably good to take that fluid out. And then we eventually got to that 150, I want to say maybe six, seven hours into the shift. And um, ever since we got to the 150, that's where we, we stayed at and we were able to get that negative 150 for the last, I want to say, four or five hours of the shift, which is nice. Uh, SWAN numbers were all good. Index was good. Output was good. CVPs towards the end of the shift did start to go down by, by one, but, you know, you're not pulling too much fluids, but you're pulling just enough. So, so textbook-wise, this was a perfect scenario. CVPs going down, cardiac input, sorry, cardiac index staying well. Cardiac output within parameters. SVR is within parameters. Balloon pump was one to one. 
is where I can find. We're getting a cardiac output, CRT, machine pulling out the 150. Textbook, everything was going according to plan, and that's the, the way it stayed. His labs in the morning were, were also good. We didn't have to replace any kind of electrolytes. Hemoglobin was, was steady. Platelets were fine. INR was fine as well. It was downtrending, so normally if you have somebody on a balloon pump, a swan, all this kind of stuff, usually with a balloon pump, swan, not so much, CRT, not so much, but if you have a, a, a balloon pump, you want to have this person most likely on a, on a heparin drip. When he came on his shift, there was orders for heparin drip, but he was getting some hemoptysis. He had a lot of bleeding coming out of his, his eyes where the swan was. So we got the chargers, we spoke to the nurse practitioner, and we decided to not start the heparin. We redrew the heparin. It was like, uh, the PTT was like 160s. And then we redrew it again a couple uh, hours later. It was still like in the 120s. And then in the morning, it was, I believe, in the in the 60s, if I remember correctly. So we didn't start the heparin because he was just bleeding from from his from his line size. He was bleeding out of his mouth. So we felt that that's not stir the pot. His PDT is high anyways. Let's just wait a couple hours. Does look like he's going to have a clot if we decide to hold his heparin overnight. And that's what he did. And um, in the morning, we passed it down. Dad talks about starting it. They're going to talk to our team. Most likely after I left, he probably got put on the, the heparin drip just just for just for safety, all that balloon stuff and all that kind of stuff. So everything well, well guys, balloon pump was one to one. Swan numbers were, were good. Mixed Venus, if I remember correctly, I believe it was 71. It was either 60 or 71. I forget which one it was. And that's that, that's good. That, that's good for a patient, no complaints. We'll take that any any day of the week. So that, that was nice. So that's how I kind of manage my my night. I like CRTs because every hour you're in there doing something. So time goes by real real fast. But what does suck is if your patient's crashing and you're doing CRT because when your patient's not doing good and he's on top and top of that you have CRT, you feel like you're so short on time every hour because you do your numbers and try to do everything you can to keep this person alive. And by the time you know it, it's already the next hour, you're already got your next numbers. And it's almost like you don't have a chance just to sit down when you have a critically ill CRT because you're in that room so much and you're required to be there every hour to get those numbers and change up how much you're pulling and all that kind of stuff where time just passed by so slow. It's With CRTs, it's either you're busy the whole shift, like a calm busy, or you're just you're just sucking, sucking air for time. You're just so busy where it's like you almost don't have time for, for anything, but it was good. So when I was looking back at it, I was trying to figure out what's gonna be the plan for this patient. So some brainstorming things that came to mind was CRT is one to one, not CRT, I'm sorry. Bloom pump is one to one. He's augmentating well. His pressures are, are doing well. Looks good. They're probably going to try him on a trial of one to two, see how, see how he does. So with the one to one bloom pump, every time your your heart beats, the bloom pump does, does the same thing. So when your aortic valve opens, the bloom pump closes. When your aortic valve closes, the bloom pump inflates. It deflates when the aortic valve is opened and inflates when the aortic valve is, is closed. Why it does that? Because imagine if the aortic valve opening and pumping blood and the balloon pump is now inflated. Where's that blood going to go? It's like I have nowhere to go. You're going to pop someone's someone's aorta. You know, you're going to, you're going to, you're going to kill a guy, you know? So you have to have it, uh, you have to have it beating in that, in that synchronous way. So what happens usually is if a patient's doing good, on one-to-one augmentation is good, pressures are good, they usually trial him on a 
one to two. So it's not not every single beat. Now it's every other beat. And the purpose of the of the um, intraaortic bloom pump is just to increase cardiac output. You could say decrease the the work of the heart in a sense because it's helping with the with the pressures and the and the output of the output and outflow of of blood. So you trial him at one to two. See how he does. If he does good at one to two, probably leave him one to two overnight. See how he does. All that kind of stuff. And maybe on the third night or third day, fourth day, you could pull, pull out that balloon if you think he's doing well at one to two. Before you pull it, probably turn it off. See how he does. Just in case something happens, you got to restart it. All that kind of stuff. There's also a one to three setting, uh, but I haven't seen one to three being being used very often. It's usually, if they're good at one one to two, then they're they're stable enough to get it taken taken out. Uh, with the CRT, he did it very well overnight. I want to say that maybe they want to keep him on CRT for maybe one more day. Um, just to kind of make sure, check all the bases. And then probably put him on hemodialysis. This gentleman did have official, like I said, he had seven years of, of dialysis, and adrenal disease, renal failure in, in this sense. And he was used to it. And he was doing very well in CRT or pulling fluids, so... I don't see why they would not maybe try to do some HD either the following night or just the, the next day just because he's doing very well. The swan, that's what they usually pull last, so he'll probably have that in before all the way until either the day before he has to leave or before he gets transferred over to a unit because if, he's on, if he, the bloom pump is out, if he's on HD now, the swan still gives you a lot of good information. You still see how well the the lungs are working in, in a sense, how you could see how well the lungs and a heart are working together because remember with the swan it's going into the the uh, pulmonary artery. So is the last point of pressure measurement is going to be your pulmonary artery. You get a wedge pressure, you get your CVP, you get your um, uh, like I said, pulmonary artery pressure, all that kind of stuff is very valuable at, when you're looking at when you're looking at heart failure, when you're looking at fluid management, when you're looking at how well this patient's heart is functioning. So you want to always pull that last. We have swans. I want to say almost every single patient in the RICU has a swan. It's a really good measurement. You can get your mixed venous off off of there. It's um, it's the last thing we always pull because it gives us some kind of a some kind of a, a data and a very, very valuable data. So yeah, that's how my shift went. Um, I'm going to try to be doing at least one to two shifts a week. This is my first, when this podcast, when this podcast episode comes out, I'm going to be doing my first shift alone as a registry, as a registry nurse. So um, maybe I'll touch back on, on it on my next episodes, but you know, once a nurse, I guess always a nurse. <laughs> It comes pretty natural to me now. I've been a nurse since 2016, 2017. So I've, I've seen a lot of things. Um, I've seen a lot of things, but I also learned a lot of things. So we'll see how, how this goes. I'm currently working once a week with the goal of maybe doing twice a week. And of course, picking up those those crucial shifts. All right, guys. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for tuning in. If you guys have any questions, feel free to send me an email. DM me on, on Instagram. I'm not going to give them away my phone number because like some privacy, but have a good week, guys. Thank you so much. Bye bye. Oh, I gotta go. I've been working, told them please don't hit my phone. I'm in my zone, bruh. Just leave me alone. Was on the road, but I swear I'm coming home.
Now the drinks on me, I think we need a toast. See, I did it for me. Now my